Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And presenting today's episode is our good friends at SeatGeek. Use the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Locked on Bucks to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Frank, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm fine, Eric. I am... Very ready to stop talking about the Milwaukee Bucks GM search. I am too, but you know what, Frank? It's still here. It's still going. Uh, we still need to talk about it. Uh, so the the news today is that uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical reported this afternoon that the Nuggets decided to, uh, decided to go ahead and promote Arturis Karnasovas to general manager. And they did that by... Uh, moving up Tim Connolly, who was the GM in Denver, uh, to the president of basketball operations. So uh, Karnasovas is still not the the front man in Denver, but he does get uh, a promotion to the general manager position, despite it being below uh, Tim Connolly, who is now the president of basketball operations. So, by the way, can I can I now? I'd like you to know that you are now the uh, president of this podcast, okay. and. I am, um, I don't know, can I be co-president or something, or do you want to be chief podcast officer and something like that? <laughs> I, th- just, I think just we give can... ourselves some nice new titles just to make everybody feel better. Yeah, um, although I'm, I'm, get, I'm guessing Karnasova's got a, got a raise too, and unfortunately we're not, we're not getting a raise today, but, but yeah. We are not, um, but yeah, I would have to assume uh, that Karnasova's uh, did end up getting a raise. Obviously, a higher ranking as well uh, in title. So all of that happens. And as we noted earlier this week, Karnasovas was one of two finalists for the Milwaukee Bucks general manager position. Obviously, it was a league-wide search, very large. Then it was chopped down to, I don't know, eight-ish or so, uh, where we heard guys that got a chance to interview. Then it got chopped down one more time to a final three with Wes Wilcox, Karnasovas, and with interim GM Justin Zanuck. Uh, and then we heard that Wes Wilcox was the front runner for a second, but that ended up not being true. Uh, and then Wilcox was out of consideration as Karnasovas and Zanuck became the final two. And now Karnasovas is out, leaving one. But as of our recording at ten ten, in, in theory, in theory, there's one uh, at ten ten on Wednesday night. Justin Zanuck has not been announced the Bucks' full time general manager. The interim tag has not been removed. He is still just interim GM of the Milwaukee Bucks, and we have not heard any more. Which, again, I I do not fancy myself Sherlock Holmes, but using just the slightest bit of deductive reasoning would suggest to me that 
maybe Justin Zanuck isn't the guy that the Milwaukee Bucks are looking for, right? <laughs> or or some 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 member of the Milwaukee Bucks ownership group or multiple members are not looking for. I mean, at this point, it's clearly somebody likes Justin Zanuck and somebody does not like Justin Zanuck because Justin Zanuck is around or has been around yep. leading the front office as interim GM. And he's been supposedly, obviously, made a finalist for this job, but he has not been given this job. And, you know, we're, we're sort of at the point now where whatever happens, it's not, it's not going to be a fun, it's not going to be fun for anybody, whoever comes out of this, I think, is, is sort of the, 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 the place we've gotten, you know, if, yeah. I mean, if, if it leaked out, you know, today, like right after Karnasova's stuff, it, if it leaked out, oh, Justin Zanuck's now going to be promoted and, and he'll be the GM, then whatever, you move on. Um, and I think everybody's fine with it. You Even know, like, then, I don't, I don't know how great you feel about it. Like, oh, I'm the GM by default yeah like, well if 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 at least if there were no other options and ownership agreed to make you the gm then that's at least something i guess i mean yeah. obviously other people were officially eliminated it seemed um but you know clearly at this point there there is more to this and there's you know there's there's been a number of reports about the team's inability to figure out what they want to do. And um, Woj alluded to that as well, you know, an inability or refusal, whatever you want to call it to um, come to a conclusion when the obvious answer has been sitting there and they have not, and they've basically gone out of their way to, to not get there or, or some faction of, of that group has, <laughs> has gone yeah. out of their way to not come to that. So um, at, at this point, if it, you know, if Justin Zanuck, were promoted you i mean it seems like there's not a lot of enthusiasm for it if someone else is hired it's going to be i mean it's going to it's got to be a shit show in terms of perceptions and you know a lot of people have been you know because justin zanuck is the primary person that this affects because he's the person who was expected to get the job and he's the person who's been the interim gm and if someone else gets hired then he presumably may not be around thereafter. But um, but at, there are tons of other people in the organization on the basketball side who also are hugely impacted by this, regardless of, yeah. of who gets hired. And and so, you know, I mean, you don't have to poke around that much to see that there's a lot of confusion and concern. And, you know, that's been going around. We've seen that publicly reported. We You hear it privately. I mean, it, it's just... Um, it's just a very been a very let's just say this charitably. It's been a very confusing process for it seems like everybody involved, um, and and that is that is not a great thing to be saying about the Milwaukee Bucks GM search on uh, what is it now June fifteenth or something like that. <laughs> um, that uh, in many ways the, the the process seems as confused and you know. In, in a worse place than it was even when it started, um, just in terms of understanding what what people even want to see happen. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is confusing. And I guess the thing that I go back to, and this is, to me, literally the exact same thing we said the night where we sat here after John Hammond had left for Orlando and Justin Zanuck hadn't been named GM at that point. At that exact moment... 
I had a number of people while we were saying, well, why isn't Zanuck the guy? I had a number of people say, well, they're just they're just going through the search and they're doing their due diligence and they understand how big this decision is and they want to make sure they get the right person. And as I said then, I will say again tonight, if that is the case, and if the organization is as proactive as you say they are, why didn't this happen a month ago? Why are we sitting here now, by the time this gets published on Thursday morning, one week from the NBA draft, one week from the NBA draft, add another eight or nine days to that, then you're to NBA free agency. So if if the if this organization was that proactive and so dead set on finding the absolute perfect candidate that they believed in in doing a very thorough search, why was not why was all this not set in motion the day after the season ended? And that's the thing that just keeps bothering me when people will come back and say, well, you know, they they just must not really trust Zanuck. Well, if you didn't trust Zanuck, then put things in motion <laughs> before all of this. Uh, so so like you said, there there does have to be some sort of hang up that I would assume was unforeseen because Otherwise, all of this would have been done before. If there were these concerns about Justin Zanuck and there were these concerns about whether or not he was the right fit, all of these things should have happened before. So something unforeseen must have happened in the aftermath of John Hammond leaving, though, again, they should have been prepared for it because they allowed him to interview for positions. The whole thing is just insanely confusing and as I think both of us have said on Twitter, there's no way that this situation paints the kindest picture of this organization. No, and I mean, it's probably not a coincidence that the names we've seen connected to to this job have not been the big names that you know people might have been hoping for when when it all started, right? And you know, when it started, people obviously David Griffin was mentioned from the Cavs and. Um, you know, even more grandiose visions of potentially other names, things like that. And never have we really seemingly gotten very close to that. There was a little bit of smoke around like, oh, maybe the Bucks would be interested in Griffin. But um, you know, as we said, he's under contract at the end of the month. The Cavs now are out of the playoffs. Uh, the Cavs are apparently going to be talking with Griffin about a contract extension. Um, and there's been really no talk about Griffin over the last few days, even as the Bucks options have dwindled and there's been seemingly no sort of consensus built around what they might do, even though the options seemingly have gone down to one or zero <laughs> options. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was joking on Twitter today that if, you know, uh, Rod Thorns and Wes Edens have been sort of named as the people supposedly leading this process. Wes Edens is the, the Bucks board of governors representative. So he's like officially, even though obviously the three principal owners, um, he is nominally the, I guess the one who has the the most official power. Um, I don't know. I'm, sure, I'm not sure if that's why he's he was not named as leading, but um, but if those guys want to like appear to not be completely like, you know, out to lunch on this, then I don't know. Leak leak to somebody that you're you want to go talk to Griffin or something. Like maybe maybe <laughs> that would make people feel a little bit better about the fact that they're just twisting in the wind here and 
by the way, I think I've used the phrase twisting in the wind twice in the last two days. And I don't know if I've ever used that phrase before in my life. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of maybe a metaphor for where we are, um, with the bucks right now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, it, it doesn't seem like there's some grand plan to go for, you know, David Griffin or some big, big name, big fish, whatever that people might've been hoping for previously. Um, but it just seems like for whatever reason, and again, I mean, we'd emphasize, you know, in the reporting you've done, um, what we've been hearing, nobody in the organization, I mean, it's, it's not like Justin Zanuck has some reputation for not knowing what he's doing or not being prepared or not being organized. And again, Um, yesterday, like Billy McKinney came out and said after that draft workout, and I know Matt Velasquez put that in his story yesterday, but it was again a, a ringing endorsement of everything Justin Zanuck has done as the interim jam. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's it'd be one thing if you had like a mutiny on your hands if you did this, right? It, it just seems yeah. like it's a very the issue is very localized to some corner of ownership, let's say um, that that is against it, or, or or that you know there's the comfort, or somebody else was was prefer whatever it might be, but you know if if there was if there was some person that wanted Karnasovas, then well he's gone. So I don't know what you do from here, right? I mean, yeah. Rod Thorne's buddy Ed Stefanski is gone, um, in theory, right? Let's hope he's not coming back. Um, and and so it's just like I mean, we're I don't know I don't know what the Bucks do for now. You know, I mean, I, I don't think they can really reopen the search. I mean, well, look, they can do anything at this point. Let's not put anything past them, for but. Sure. Um, but at this point, you know, the best thing that can happen to them is the U S open comes to Wisconsin and people stop paying attention for a couple days. And, um, you know, this, I don't know, kind of gets swept under the rug and people don't notice or something. Cause, um, right now it's just a, it's just a bad look. And, you know, the, the timing of it, obviously we said is, is just crappy, right? Everybody in this organization who's working to try to stay focused on all these really important things that they're doing. And they're all looking over their shoulder, wondering who's who's going to be leading this organization. Am I, am I going to be part of it? What what you know? What's going going on here? So it's um, there's just not a there's just a, a leadership vacuum, right? And yeah. and that's not that's not anything specific about the people in the front office right now. It's just you know if ownership can't make a decision, then there's you know big consequences for everybody up and down the organization, and it's it sucks. It, it really does. And yeah. Yeah, it's up to it's up to ownership at this point to 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 make a decision. I mean, you have very few decisions that you have to make as an ownership group. Hiring a GM is probably the most important one. It's really the only one you absolutely have to make. Yeah, is is your GM because in theory your GM could hire your coach. In many cases, that's who leads that process. Yep. Um, but there's nobody else really to hire the lead of of your basketball organization. And right now, there's there's just there's no decision being made. And and I don't know. I'm sure this stuff is going to come out. You know, we've, we've seen kind of ripples of, of details kind of come out a little bit here and there. Um, I'm sure at some point it will come out once the process is over because there have been enough people involved that someone will probably be okay with telling what they said, what they saw yeah. and heard. Um, and, uh, when that happens, um, I don't think it's going to be a good day for the Milwaukee Bucks and their, you know, attempts to 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 be perceived in a better light, let's say, around the league. And 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 that's something we should taste too. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Bucks trying to, you know, look better and 
yeah. build this perception of themselves as this first class organization, things like that. And, um, you know, everything <laughs> that we've seen so far, I mean, this like, search has been the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, again, I didn't, I was, I wasn't really paying attention probably until like the two thousands, as far as like, like, I don't remember the GM searches in the nineties, you know, I was like too young to like really care about that kind of thing. But, um, you know, Larry Harris was an internal hire, uh, and John Hammond was an external hire, but there was no drama about those like moves. I don't recall like in practicality, right? I mean, decisions were made and we can say Herb Cole metal and he did this and that, but we didn't see this, like this no. is just a different thing. And part of the problem obviously is Herb Cole is one guy and he decides and you know, he doesn't have to, he isn't, you know, the, the process has, has made it, has turned into paralysis for the Bucks right now. And obviously, I'd say a big part of that is because they have three people trying to agree on something, it seems. And, you know, it's just, and, and I don't know what Rod Thorne's role is, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, too many cooks, It's it just seems like a big problem for the Bucks right now. And I, I imagine it'll resolve itself soon, but it's it's just it sucks for our fans but more so for the people involved directly and, and that was the thing i was going to say is that anyone in the organization can tell you well it's just business as usual and and that was largely what billy mckinney said yesterday when we asked him about it but there there is certainly yeah you can hopefully distract yourself with your work and know that before an NBA draft and before free agency, there are things that you have to get done, but there's just no way for that not to be hanging over you. Like it's a huge decision. There's a power vacuum in your organization. You don't know who's, I mean, you know that Justin Zanuck is running things for now, but do you know if he's running it for good uh are are you totally sure that he's coming back like is he going to be the one that gets the job like all of this stuff you don't know anything uh, about it and that just has to linger like, there's just no way that 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 environment isn't toxic for you uh to to work in and to to live in so uh, to me that's kind of the the thing that stands out is that all of those people are kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and I'm sure they're doing a good job and I'm sure they are about their business, but still like this is, this is the three biggest weeks of an NBA front offices year are the next three weeks. And it, it, I just feel like it would be really tough to kind of go into that without knowing uh, really who's going to be in charge going forward. That, that seems like a really difficult thing. And I guess one thing I've seen people people talk about as all this stuff comes out is that, oh, this is, this is incomplete reporting. Like, there's got to be more to this story. And yeah. Yep. They, obviously. <laughs> Like, I don't I don't know why that would be a confusing idea. Like, yeah, there's probably a lot of stuff going on that we don't know about. Obviously, there's something else going on. Justin Zanuck was the GM in waiting and then did not become the GM. And then Justin Zanuck was one of the three finalists and then he was not. Like, like of course, there's something else going on. So in the coming days, if we do hear that the Bucks are reopening up their search or they're talking to this person or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's the logical next step because Justin Zanuck hasn't been hired as GM. 
Like, that's the most logical next step, that we will go somewhere where Justin Zanuck isn't the, Z- the GM because he hasn't been hired by the GM when they've been given ample opportunities to hire him as the GM. So, sure, in, in the coming days, one would have to assume, unless by the time we put out this podcast, we hear that Justin Zanuck is the Bucks' next GM, there's going to be a lot of questions. Why isn't Justin Zanuck the Bucks' next GM? Who are they possibly looking at? Like all these things go kind of step by step. So we'll kind of see how that progresses. Uh, but yeah, the the reason the report is incomplete is because the story is incomplete yet. Like we don't know how it's going to end. Uh, so we'll kind of see where that's going. Um, any other GM thoughts, Frank? Uh, the only thing really me summing up my thoughts on it is it's a mess. I'm very confused. And that's all I got. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to whatever press conference comes to announce whichever human being is is uh, is named GM of this team because I I feel like it's it's the, whatever the the process is not going to be fair to anybody that gets hired at this point. That's that's what I would say. And let's let's talk about you. You were at the you were at the Cousin Center slash Orthopedic Hospital of Wisconsin Center today. What, what you, can we talk about something that actually involved a bouncing ball? and people trying to throw it into hoops. Can we talk about that? I would love to. But first, I would like to talk about SeatGeek. Our good friends at SeatGeek are bringing you this podcast today. And the great thing about SeatGeek is they find all the best seats for you, and they search everything out. And again, it doesn't even have to be sports. If you're going to Summerfest, go get some tickets at SeatGeek. If, uh, again, because we're kind of in a dead zone. If you're going to a baseball game, go to SeatGeek. You can do all these things with SeatGeek. They're going to find the best seats for you. They're going to put them on the app. They're going to let you see where all those seats are, what the best deals are. They grade them out for you. They do all the hard work and make it so easy for you. And they also want to give you some money back. So if you've never made a SeatGeek purchase before, we have a promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks that can get you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. All you have to do is Download the SeatGeek app, then go to the settings tab and go to enter a promo code, enter promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S, and you get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. It's that simple. It's that easy. And I think those would be the two words that I would use to sum up SeatGeek. It's simple and it's easy. Thinking a little bit about kind of the last couple days at the Bucks practice facility uh obviously we saw yesterday we talked a little bit about jared allen being in the house um another one of those centers in the house that we talked about last night that maybe we don't love any of those centers um one that's a little bit out of the i mean i don't even know maybe he's in the bucks range maybe he's out of the bucks range uh but we talked about last night kind of jared allen harry giles um Shoot, who else? Uh, Justin Patton. And then one of the other ones in there is Bam Adebayo. And he, he you'll see him on Mox maybe a little bit lower, um, but I don't really have a problem kind of linking him in that same group of bigs. Uh, so I guess let's, I, again, the bigs just kind of intrigue me in that I'm not all that interested in any of them. And uh, I guess... It just kind of. You're I, intrigued by how little interest you have in that. No, like it's it's interesting to me that I, I mentioned this to someone on Twitter, but in the past it would be okay. We have 
seven footers, and they all have wingspans of seven five plus. Well, they're young. They're only nineteen. They're super athletic. That's that's a top five pick. Like that that's been. I'm not going to say the entire history of basketball, but bigs that flash those skills at a young age. Yeah, that's a top ten pick and. None of those guys are in the top 10 this year. And I think that's why it's interesting to me is that none of those guys really intrigue me. And I just think it speaks to kind of how the game has grown. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, Adebayo also is a guy, I mean, back in the day, I mean, he's a guy, what, he's more closer to 6'9", um, not a huge wingspan. He's, what, seven one seven two wingspan. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, he's not a, he's, he's not, he's not not long, but he's not long in the, Jarrett Allen slash uh, Anabogu type type range where those yeah. guys are like seven five seven six wingspans, and so at a bio, you know, back in the day would have been you know he's a power forward and you know can he do enough as a power forward whatever it might be. Um, obviously in today's NBA, not a lot of room for guys like him who don't really stretch the floor um, at, at at the power forward spot. Um, and so I kind of I kind of view him like a little bit like an Ivan Rab um, mm-hmm. like. He seems to have more offensive skill than you know, like an Anabogu might have, um, but I'm a little more unsure about exactly what he sort of does at a level that like matters yeah. <laughs> in the NBA. No, absolutely. Like um, uh, in college, you know, I think good offensive rebounder, not very good defensive rebounder, um, blocked some shots, not a ton of shots. Um, had some skill in the post, but again, you know, having, being able to like, you know, hit jump hooks at like reasonably good rates is maybe one of the least important skills you can have in, in, in the game today. <laughs> uh, especially if you're like a young big man who like nobody, you know, nobody's going to like try to go get you touches in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, he's a guy that I think looks good getting off the bus, impressive frame, looks like a guy who is a you know highly rated uh high school guy and obviously playing at kentucky major minutes that that means something um but yeah i mean is he a guy you you spend a mid first round pick on is he going to be a guy that has a differentiating skill um i don't know i mean to me it's 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 really all premised on him being able to be a five and you know can he be like i don't know like i don't know what his his comp is is he Montrez Harrell I, I don't know like what it, like what kind of guy is he going to be kind of like a maybe a little undersized center who rolls to the rim and finishes dunks and I don't know moves well enough defensively that you know you, you kind of over overcome the fact that he's not like a, a real anchor defensively maybe but you know is that is that like a super high value guy in the modern NBA I, I mean I think the fact that where you know where he's being projected probably says that, that there's a lot of questions about that I think the I was as I was talking about these center prospects last night, I, I was thinking about what actually interests me. Like, what do I want to see most out of a center prospect? And I guess the big thing for me is to be a rim running threat. And I think that the thing with Alan Patton, I mean, even Giles Adebayo and, and Igbogu to a large extent is I've seen all of them, roll to the rim and catch an alley-oop like, and throw it down with two hands, sometimes even in traffic. And to me, that's like, oh, okay. Like, that's that's what you're looking for. But, I mean, the big thing is, can you do it consistently? Can you do it as you're getting bumped off of 
off of your line and can you handle the physicality of the NBA level? And I have no idea with any of those five. I think all of them have shown flashes of being able to handle some of that physicality of being able to go up in traffic and grab an alley-oop and throw it down or even to go grab a rebound and throw it down. I don't know if any of them have shown it consistently. And if you could tell me which one of those is going to do do that most often in the NBA, I would tell you to pick that guy. But I don't know which one of them it is because I would assume one of those five is going to find a productive NBA career. Again, I just, I don't know who it is. And I guess the the other thing too is how well can you move your feet? Like you can't get played so often in the NBA now. You can get played off the floor. If you can't move your feet fast enough, you can get play, played straight off the floor. And to me, I, I think that's going to be uh, kind of something to watch. Like, can all these guys move? Uh, can they go side to side? Can they stay with people? And again, it, it's fascinating that so many long, young centers. Because uh, I, I just think back to like Bynum going really early and thinking about all of these dudes would they have looked like Bynum at the same age? Probably. Like they, they were all, most of these guys were McDonald's all Americans. So just looking at how the game has changed, it's, it's kind of crazy to me. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, on the one hand, I think the, the fact that the league's gotten also smarter. I mean, the fact that like Annabogue, what is Annabogue like six, nine, technically, like he's not a seven footer, right? He's just super long and, you know, he, he basically has all the measurables of a center other than his height. Yeah. So, you know, he probably would have been unfairly um, dinged for that, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And, and now I think, you know, because people are less obsessed with um, the true height seven of footers. Top, yeah. The top, nobody cares as much about the top of your head as uh, as they did back in the day. Um, and they care more about, you know, standing reach and wingspan and, um, you know, like you said, movement, things like that. So, um so yeah, I, I think um, I, I think it is uh, an, an interesting time. It's an evolving time for the league, um, and yeah, it's interesting to kind of wonder what would these guys be, you know, have been more valuable 10, 15 years ago. I mean, the fact that there are also so many of them, um, also just I mean, again, supply and demand, right? Like when yeah. there are more of them than, um, and and I think we've seen this over a few years now. There's just there's just less less scarcity of of guys who can do what what people want, um, and the fact that nobody demands you know nobody really puts a ton of value on having a low post scoring center anymore um maybe the bucks have in the past couple of years um but the fact that that's so much less of a, of a of a skill that's valued um in in some ways you know devalues guys that that have that skill but then it also i think for a lot of these other guys maybe it works in the opposite way a little bit in the sense that people don't care as much right it's like oh I can run to the rim and, you know, catch pick and roll lobs and, and dunk or, you know, make an adjustment and finish, you know, um, with either hand. Well, that's all you need to do. So, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but yeah, but I mean the, the job requirements are definitely changing and, um, I, I think it'll be an interesting draft to see. Obviously last year, an interesting one we mentioned, you know, a couple of the, the guys that we thought might be lottery picks, uh, in Scalabissier and, uh, and Deontay Davis end up sliding, you know, down into the late twenties, early thirties, um, which kind of fits that narrative. Meanwhile, Thon, um, he ends up going way higher than expected. And I, you know, I don't know how much of that is because Thon's perception of being able to shoot and do sort of those small guy, move your feet type things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if 
you know, he, he in many ways obviously kind of meets the, the new criteria of what you want in, in a big guy. Um, but then again, Scalabissier also was known as a good shooter and that didn't seem to help him. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I think, I think it'll, I think it'll be interesting to see because, you know, everybody seems to be projecting this run of big men in the middle of the first round and it'll be interesting to see if that happens. And I think also interesting to see, I mean, it, one of these guys, right. I mean, it seems, it feels like one of these guys has to slip into like the thirties, right? Like yeah. there's just too many similar guys and it's, it's too much of a situation where, you know, guys aren't going to, you know, they're, they're not really that valued anymore that, um, it feels like something, something might happen there. And we haven't even talked about, you know, guys like Jordan Bell, who everybody I know who's smart about the draft seems to really Loves like Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell. Yes. Yeah. And Bell is, you know, his measurables. I mean, we talk about, you know, the, the, the height stuff not being as important. Well, I mean, Jordan Bell's what, like six, nine, six, 10, like a six eleven wingspan. I mean, he, he doesn't have center measurables even by like today's kind of revised more enlightened standards and but you know he he has been so productive and he's not young either um but he has you know such a great defensive feel blocks so many shots um does a lot of things that that do um get valued in the modern nba in terms of mobility and, and shot blocking that um you know we haven't talked about him much but it does seem like i i, I imagine he may go before one or two of the guys that, that we've mentioned as as being in that mix, potentially even as high as, as where the Bucks are picking. I, I would totally agree. Um, a couple other things you said I should talk about this. Uh, it, it's something that I didn't think was all that interesting, but uh, the last two days we've seen Jabari Parker in the house um, and we've seen Thon Maker in the house uh, at the practice facility. Again, with Jabari, the only the only thing I can report to all of you is that Jabari Parker can walk, um, which is is something he's been able to do for a while. Um, he can also talk. Um, I, I've talked briefly to him, and that's about it. I cannot tell you anything more about his rehab. I cannot tell you how that's going. I cannot tell you uh, what Suki has planned for him. I can't tell you any of those things. But again, still good to see him in town and again we we know what suki hobson has done with him in the past working on his acls getting stronger doing all that work that um you'd have to assume that you know that's a good sign that jabari's in there working and and getting better and on his way uh to recovering yes and if you did see jabari doing something interesting i'm sure you would tell us but when he's just walking into the rehab area whatever there's not much to report they <laughs> you, you weren't able to you weren't able to sneak in there um and thought thought has really been globetrotting i mean he was at the adidas euro camp um i don't know if i don't know what i mean i guess he was there because he's an adidas guy and he was there with his brother uh, younger brother who is a high school senior or whatever prep school uh status he has but whatever he's he's finishing college, uh, high school um, and they were both over there and, uh, I saw some video of Thon, I guess, talking to, uh, talking to the campers. And I think draft express also had some, you know, kind of like generic encouraging stuff about him working on his jumper and looking good and looking stronger and whatever it might be. Although I have to say, whenever people flash pictures of Thon and everybody always wants to figure out if he's added weight, <laughs> I can never tell. He always looks super skinny to me. I was um, going to say, I saw him today and I was like, is he stronger? Does he, is he, does he have some more weight? Uh, no, I have no idea. Like he just 
Thon just always looks like Thon to me. Um, People and and the thing the thing about Thon is, I mean, even last year, I mean, you know, if you catch him on the right angle, like, I mean, his arms have some definition. He's yeah. not like a total string bean. It's it's more his let you know, and and the thing that obviously is probably most important is you know his legs and his core and his base, right? Because that's what that's what you need to you know, box people out and, and, you know, maintain your strength, be able to get up in traffic, things like that. So those things are probably harder to really kind of like visually see anyway. But, um, I don't know, everybody loves like looking at a random picture. And if a guy's like kind of like tense muscles, you know, like randomly, then, then think that he's like gotten really strong or whatever it is. But yeah. Um, and I always think too, like comparing a picture of him from like the middle of last season to now, like just wait until uh, I, I guess the to me the one that always stands out to me was like Giannis at the end of last season not this past year the year before that there was a picture in the journal sentinel that like showed him dunking or something and during his exit interview he was like man look at how big i am like <laughs> i'm i'm really getting big now or something like something to that extent and like that to me that's when you can actually see the differences like if you if you go two years in the future, like comparing two years apart is really going to let you see something as opposed to trying to decipher uh, grainy pictures uh, of a player and whether or not they've gotten any bigger. And I, I guess to me, the big thing is Thon lives in the gym. I, he's aside from Jabari, he's the only buck I've seen, uh, in town that there obviously have been others. Cause I know we've seen them at concerts and stuff like that. Um, but as far as at the practice facility, he's the only one I've seen. I'm sure there, there are others around that maybe don't, or maybe want to make sure that I'm, that the media isn't around when they're around, or maybe they just prefer to work out a little bit later in the afternoon um, when I wouldn't be there. So, uh, but again, uh, Thon just loves being in the gym. And again, if there's, there's one thing you can take from it, it's that. And obviously that is a, a pretty, I don't want to say admirable, but a pretty nice trait for him to have, uh, especially if you're a Bucks fan thinking, okay, is this kid going to get better? Yeah. He, he's going to, I don't know if he will get better, but he's certainly going to work as hard as possible to get better. Yeah. And I think that plays into the idea that, you know, Thon, Thon's floor is, is pretty high. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't, I, again, I, I, I mean, we, we always characterize the, that pick often gets characterized as like a home run swing type pick, but I think it was much more of a safe, I think it was a much safer play than people, um, than people maybe gave it credit for. And I think obviously the hope is that, there is a lot of upside left with him, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And, and there, you know, again, he doesn't have to become a, an offensive superstar for instance, to, uh, to be a super valuable piece. But, um, I guess we'll just sort of see how that, that evolves. But I think the nice thing is when you get these guys who, you know, that they're going to be as good as they're going to be. And it's not going to be a question of whether they put in the time, you know, yeah. and, um, obviously that's a, that's a big part of, I think what we've loved about Giannis as well. And, um, you draft guys like that. I think you generally feel, feel pretty good. And, um, that's obviously one of the hard parts of, of the, of the, the draft process as well as trying to figure out who actually is, um, which, which guys are actually going to be like that. And obviously there's a lot of legwork that teams put in to try to figure out, um, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, teams, they, they go, they, they talk to the, the manager in college, right? Like yeah. the, the, the student manager, they talk to assistant coaches, they talk to all these guys 
who know what what players are really like, who puts in the work, who doesn't. I saw um, it briefly in my timeline today, but uh, shoot, what was it? It was Brad Stevens reportedly talked to Markel Fultz's high school manager, something crazy. And it was like, if you need any proof that the Celtics are gonna uh, are gonna pick Markel Fultz, and I was like, no, like that's. That's normal. Like that's what you yeah. if you're making this big of a decision, you try to find as much information as possible and you you don't just google some stuff, you find these people in the NBA and I mean NFL, MLB, any of these organizations have huge departments that are dedicated to going out and finding information. Yeah, and and so that that and that homework is a big part of it. And that's why we say, I mean again, it's not about a a, a, a hiring somebody and then showing up two days in advance and, and making a call, right? It's, it's about all the prep that goes in to, uh, to the process in the months and months and months before, before draft night. So I guess, you know, as much as we obviously, I think justifiably have been, you know, shaking our heads at just how much of a mess the, the Bucks sort of search for a GM has been, um, you know, for better or worse, this stuff was mostly, so the, the work had to be done well in advance of this, right? The, yeah. the, most of the hard work was done even before John Hammond left. Um, and <laughs> the, so, the thing I th- I found funny today was uh, we, Ben Adebayo was in, and we talked with Billy McKinney after, and he was like, I can't say that we really learned anything today. And it was just like, what? They, like You have this dude in for a draft workout, and you don't learn anything. And then he explained, he's like, well... He's a Kentucky guy, and in the past we've talked about who was it, Dave Dean, I think, uh, that has the – it was either Dean or Babcock. Uh, that, Bab- Babcock, yeah. So, Dave Babcock. Yeah, Dave Babcock has all of the has all the Kentucky connections, and he, he knows Cal from way back in the day. So any Kentucky prospect we see a lot of, and he was talking about how they saw him in – uh, what is it, the McDonald's All-American game and U18 stuff. He's like, we've seen him a bunch of times that obviously it's nice to get him into town that we can go out to dinner with him, we can talk with him, uh, we can have some more time because that's not something we get at, like the, for instance, the Combine uh, or any of those other times we saw him play. Like We just saw him play. He's like, but as far as the basketball stuff is, like, we didn't we didn't really learn anything from him today. And I know yesterday you talked about with Jared Allen – okay, well, today it's tough to really get anything because it's a one-on-all workout. And even if we put a coach out there or a player out there or whatever, like if we put someone out there, that's not really going to show us a whole lot. Uh, so we always like to have guys go against each other. And today there were other people there to go against Adebayo, and he still said, no, like we we knew we know pretty much everything about him. Like we're very confident of our evaluation in him. And that speaks to your point. Like they know a lot about all these guys. So, it, I don't know. It, it to me that is one thing that I, I think is maybe overlooked. That okay, these this last month isn't. The, the, it's not the only time they're looking at draft prospects. Like they've been looking at draft prospects for a long, long time. Yeah, and I um I thought it was funny. Did, did you see? I mean, I guess you were there, but I I could not believe it. I saw a clip. Normally, you you always like to joke about Billy McKinney. Uh, about listening to prospects sort of talk about themselves and listening to Billy McKinney. Oh, I know what you're going to say, and it was crazy. Throw cold, throw cold water on on what they think, you know, and um, and I feel like normally, 
you know, it's it's about prospects overstating their abilities and, and versatility and, you know, big guys trying to act like they can do small guy stuff. And, and well, that's usually the, the biggest one. Um, but I couldn't believe it. And I don't I don't know what what other context there might have been around it, but I could have sworn I saw a video of Billy McKinney claiming that Jared Allen, who was, you know, who looks looks like a center, quacks like a center, whatever the whatever the joke would be, <laughs> um, you know, six eleven. Seven five wingspan has no ball skills that I can tell. Um, Billy McKinney, I believe, I believe, I don't know the exact quote, but I believe he said something to the effect of, "In time, he'll be. We think he can be a stretch four who yep. can shoot threes or something like that." Craziest thing I've ever what? heard. What was Billy McKinney trying to like throw a smoke screen so some other team would think the Bucks want him or something like that? I was, I was very surprised by that statement. That that did that seemed like a wildly optimistic Billy McKinney take, which I was not ready for. There's no more context to it. That's my favorite question. As I've stated many times before, I think I wrote something about it last year leading up to the draft at Brew Hoop is that's kind of my favorite. That's my favorite thing to do in these draft workouts is we always get to talk to the prospect first and I'll ask the prospect, what do you, what position do you see yourself playing at the next level? How do you see yourself fitting in? Whatever it may be some, some variation of that question. And any big guy is going to say, you know, I'm a four or five. I think I'll have a chance to step out and shoot a little bit. I can show off my range. Uh, and But, you know, I'll still be big enough to bang with fives and cover those guys. Any any two is going to say that they can play one. Like, oh, yeah, yep. I, I can play the point. Um, anybody who's a combo guard is going to say I can guard positions one through three, maybe all the way up to four. Uh, so, like, those are very... I'm not going to say scripted answers, but they're exactly what you expect. They're yeah. Predictable. Yeah. And yesterday I asked the same thing. Like, okay, Jared Allen, what do you see yourself playing? And he's like, you know, probably a five as the, as the league is getting smaller. Like I can fit in there. And I did play some four this year and, but you know, I'm probably a five and that, you know, that'd be the best way for me to use the, the defense I bring and the shot blocking. And I was like, okay, totally logical that sounds great now let's ask billy mckinney and then he dropped that stretch four on me and i think i froze like i should have probably asked a follow-up question after he said it i mean he did explain why he thinks it but in my mind i was just like what that dude's a stretch four and earlier in that interview i asked him a question about like the finals and oh lebron in uh, LeBron and Durant were playing center for lar- long stretches of this series. Like, do you think you can even draft big guys? So when he said stretch four, like my mind was, I was shook. I was totally shook. I, I will, I will admit to that. So um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if there's any other uh, strange evaluations from Billy McKinney. But yeah, that was crazy. Maybe Billy McKinney's just softening in as he ages. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> whatever it might be, but. um but yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. One, you know, I mentioned this before we got on. I, I always think this, and then there's never really a good context in which to say it. But there are definitely like things that I, you know, I see people talk about, and I just sometimes I want to be like, okay, th- that's just not something that's going to happen. And th- this this is apropos of nothing, but this is just you know me being an old man on the porch. Excellent. Um, I can't wait for this. Um, you know throwing cold water on, on people's hopes and dreams. Um, one thing that I've seen people, so 
and and I, I it's weird I'm bringing this up because I feel like every time we have a Tony Snell and what will Tony Snell be paid conversation, mm-hmm. um, I get uncomfortable and I want to talk about it because I don't want to acknowledge that he might get paid more money than I want to pay him <laughs> or that I want the Bucks to pay him. Um, <laughs> but one thing I, I've seen like some people I ran into throw out is is and this happens frequently with like restricted free agents or even just regular free agents, but um, but people will say something like, oh well, you know, if you don't want to pay him and like do like sign and trade him somewhere for something and so a couple of things first off like the 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 advantage of of sign and trades has, has sort of been diminished like it used to be you could you know a team could sign and trade a guy and that was a way to give him five years and more money you know higher raises than than uh you could if he just sound out signed outright and that's not the case anymore in the new cba so you can't really pay a guy more money and the other big thing is just that there's not because so many teams have had cap space in the last couple of years and, you know, less this year, but still a lot, uh, relatively speaking, you, you just don't need sign and trades to, for, for teams to get players. So, you know, I mean, if, if teams have cap space then you don't need to sign trade, you just sign the guy. <laughs> um, and the other thing too, is the idea that you're going to sign and trade a guy to a team and get real value back maybe that happens if the team is totally capped out and the only way they can get that guy is that player and that player is awesome but nobody is going to go give a first round pick or like a really good player for the privilege of paying tony snell 14 million dollars a year or something like that no. right like that's just i mean granted again it only takes one asshole or whatever the the statement is you know it only takes one idiot to 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 make a bad deal um but there just aren't as many dumb GMs as there used to be. Uh, and so if you're thinking about like what's happened with Tony Snell, I, I mean, again, I can't predict the future, but Tony Snell is either going to re-sign with the Bucks, he's going to sign an offer sheet, or he's going to sign an offer sheet, and the Bucks are either going to match or they won't. Like I, I, I would say the odds of them signing and trading Tony Snell are probably like zero. Um, and you know, one of the few sign and trades that we have seen was Matthew Delvadova. Well, guess why they did that? Not because <laughs> to get anything. It was literally just to get a trade exception. And the Which David it. Griffin very... Ended, he ended up using the Delhi trade exception, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Or I, which I think trade was, exception was it? To... Well, I think I, I think there was initially... It was a thing they may have used him to get the Dunleavy deal, but I'm not sure if they did. But they also had some other moves. I don't know if they needed one for a Corver move or something like that. But, um, but they, yeah, they, it was savvy to get it, even just for flexibility. I think they paid the Bucks $200,000, basically, to get the trade exception, That's which is why it was a, a sign-and-trade rather than just an outright signing. But either way, like, you know, the Cavs, like, you know, like Cavs fans might have said, like, oh, you should threaten to match and then get the Bucks to give you a second-round pick. <laughs> nah, We'll take our chances. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so don't don't expect as you think about the summer. Don't you know think that you're going to be able to sign and trade uh, Tony Snell for anything, and also definitely don't think that you're going to be able to construct a draft night trade for a pick for a sign and trade of Tony Snell because it just the timing doesn't work. Because again, Tony Snell can't even you know be signed until July and or can't even negotiate until july and you know again you're not going to like negotiate you can't negotiate a trade for a pick um <laughs> contingent on negotiating a deal with <laughs> tony snell for a signage you know it's just it's not going to happen so 
Um, if the Bucks do make a trade on draft night involving a pick, it's going to be with a guy who's under contract, and, and that's not Tony Snell. Um, and I guess there was a little bit of Tony Snell news, right? Um, Woj, I think, had a mention of him on that favorite topic of ours of, of value, right? Yeah, I believe he said uh, it could go as high as four years 50, um, which I don't think is... I shouldn't say... That's not a bad... That's it's not a, a scary, that, it's that, high, that's but it's not like, oh my gosh, that's Alan Crabb money. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like it is. It can be a little bit scary. I don't know if I'd be super comfortable at four for 50, um, 12 and a half million a year. Don't think I would love it, but I'd be okay signing that. Yeah, that that would not... I mean, we were asked um, what the number... I forget who asked us on Twitter, like what our number would be that we would just say like pass. Um, and that is not a pass for me yet. No. Um, I think the number I've been feeling like that I would just be like Ugh, too rich would be like 456. Um, so 14 million per year. That's just a ton of money. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, and I think that's the Middleton deal or pretty close, right? Like around 14 mil a year for Middleton. If yeah, he signed for for five years, seventy, and it declines. So it's also he's he's getting less than that. Um, I think in the next couple or next couple of years. Uh, but but he also has a player option in his last year, so it's basically a four year four if, year contract. If Tony Snell is making as much as Chris Middleton, eh, that and Chris might... Middleton is underpaid, but still, it totally just, agree. That, just, that does not feel right. Yes, <laughs> and and I think I think the question also we we had on Twitter day was like, well you know how do you evaluate that like is that movable or are you stuck with that i mean uh, i mean i'm actually very curious to see what happens with alan crab um we were talking before the podcast about the blazers having three first round picks and how they would seem ripe to use those picks to maybe get somebody to take like evan turner's contract or alan crab's contract (laughs) um it would definitely be ironic if the like nets ended up, you know, and, and they'd have to wait it. Technically you have to wait a year because they signed into that, uh, offer sheet, Alan Crabb, um, a year ago. Um, so there is a one year waiting period before they could trade him to, um, Brooklyn. But you know, it, it would, it would, it wouldn't have, it would have been funny, obviously, if, uh, there was some deal on draft night to, you know, have the, uh, have the nets make the pick and then it's contingent on on the trade going through in uh, early July or whatever. I think um, I think it's pretty funny that the Blazers can kind of create their own marketplace within the marketplace because they have pick 15, 20, and twenty six. I think so. Yeah. They they can be like for the fifteenth pick, you can take on Evan Turner. For the twentieth pick, it'll be Alan Crabb. For twenty six, I don't even know who would be their next worst contract after that. But I I think that's to me that seems very logical. Like with as bad of a spot as they are in with the cap, yeah, sell some of those picks away. Uh, again, that's never something you want to do. We talked about yesterday how silly it is to get rid of any draft picks especially first round draft picks, but with as dire of a situation as they are in with the cap, I don't know if it's that bad of an idea. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I hate the idea of, if I'm, I hate the idea of attaching picks to get rid of bad contracts. Right. Cause just don't I mean, the damn contracts in the first place. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. And I think the other flip side is I really hope that teams like the nets who we always talk about as being potential Tony Snell suitors, I would love for those teams to use up their cap space acquiring first round picks because that means that 
that's less money they have to to throw at Tony Snell. So see, we're kind of bringing it all full <laughs> circle with with Tony Snell. Um, but it will actually it will be interesting to see. Crab is an interesting case. If um, I mean, if you have to attach a first round pick to move him, that would make me a lot less excited about giving Tony Snell. 14 million a year even though crabs i think crabs average deal is, is i want to say 18 17 yeah. 18 million a year um which is insane uh but uh but yeah it, it will be interesting to see sort of what the market looks like i mean um turner i would i would be trying to move turner ahead of crab just because i mean I, I just hate turner as a player but um but i don't know we'll we'll see kind of what what happens there and and certainly there's there's a few teams with multiple picks i think obviously those the the teams with multiple picks are always sort of the 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 x factors on draft night um because they do have more more flexibility to to do more stuff i mean the nets also have two picks but um jazz asked, have two picks 24 and 30 yeah and someone asked me a while ago if if the net if like oh could you trade down um, 17 to try to get like the two Nets picks or something like that, or maybe more reasonably like the two Jazz picks, since those are a little bit further back. Um, I probably would do that. I mean, we've talked about how, you know, again, and, and we're not experts on the draft, but how sort of uninspiring 17 is and how it feels like similar quality guys are going to be there throughout the first round once you kind of get out of the lottery. Um, so I, I don't know. But, but again, like if you're the Nets, I mean, you need as many lottery tickets as you can find. I, I don't think moving up a few spots uh, is something that is really worth it. I think they need to just get as many as many of those picks as possible. And if they can get another one from a team like Portland, pff, do it. Just start rolling the dice. Try to get guys who who could become really good young players on cheap contracts. And um, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the Nets. Who knows? Maybe they aren't as as far away from turning turning the corner a little bit than uh, than we thought a year ago. But man. I just, I just immediately thought to them not having their pick again next year, and that's, uh, that's a tough place to be. All right, Frank, that's going to be it. We are, we are done for today. I'm hoping and praying that in the eight to nine hours that it takes for – I mean, it doesn't take us that long to post this, but in the eight to nine hours before we post this that – what we've all said uh, about GMs, about draft picks, that none of that becomes totally worthless. So fingers crossed that that doesn't happen, but we'll be keeping an eye on it. And obviously we'll update you on any of that as it happens. Uh, just wanted to also mention, be on the lookout for our pick in the Locked On NBA uh, mock draft that's going on over at Locked On NBA. Again, I mean, one, just follow the Locked On NBA account because, I mean, David's talked to... Kevin Pelton, uh, he's taught, I'm trying to think of some of my favorites from this year. Kevin Pelton was the one that I always think of because I think his, I think their conversations are always fascinating. Um, but anyways, he's had a number of very interesting uh, people on it. And yeah, so just go follow that. But that's where the mock draft is happening today. Picks one through six came out tomorrow, seven through 13, I think. And then the day after that, 14 through 20, maybe somewhere in that range. Um, and obviously you can, li- you can listen to us talk about how much, how not excited we are to make that pick. <laughs> Correct. Um, so that's something to, would you look forward to that? Um, that would be on Friday. Our pick will be up, but the rest of it should all be very interesting. Um, so take a look at that. 
Hopefully that's interesting to you. And then we'll be doing an AMA uh, as part of that as well. I'll be hanging out, I think, for an hour or so on Friday, um, just answering questions and stuff like that. So if you're a big Reddit person, head over there and check that out as well. Uh, but that's going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. That was Frank Men. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later.